you are listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It is so much more than radio. It is your community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Happy Christmas and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Mid-Missouri's only weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon and I am so happy that we get to spend an hour of Christmas Day together with three wonderful artists. This is the first time that Speaking of the Arts has fallen on Christmas Day and I tell you it's tough thinking about how you're going to compete with Santa and gift opening. But this year... For many of us, Christmas is a little different than usual. Many of us are not with family this year because we want to keep them safe and that includes my own family. Usually we would be at my in-law's house right now enjoying breakfast together with my sister-in-law and her husband. But instead, we are all in our separate houses and that feels strange and sad. So happy Christmas, John and Joni and Heather and John and happy Christmas to you, wherever you are. But as I get to share the Speaking of the Arts Hour with you on Christmas Day, I thought we'd continue the lovely, intimate fireside chats we started on last week's show and share this hour with three of my favourite Columbia artists. Singer-songwriter Audra Sergal, theatre director Joy Powell and the singer with the golden voice Simone Sparks. So snuggle up on the sofa on this cold Christmas morning with a hot chocolate or maybe a cheeky mimosa. And let's take our last arts journey of 2020 together. Our first stop today is with Audra Sergal. Good morning, Audra. Good morning. It's good to hear you. And it is always lovely to hear you. And in a year when so much stopped, you released an EP hosted backyard music events, set up online sing-alongs, organized a home for the holidays concert broadcast, and started a podcast and probably a million other things that I don't even know about. So (laughs) thinking first of all of your own creative output this year, what have been some of the highlights? It has been really fun to do the Musician's Dish podcast with Robin. I've really enjoyed it just for both of us to have a time to sit down and talk about very specific things. Like we make a little list and then we kind of launch into it. So that's been a lot of fun. And I've been pretty surprised at how important the online performances have been just for my mental health. Um, I've really missed that interaction with other musicians and with other, you know, bandmates and, it's just that part of it's been really important to me. Just the the hosting of events has really helped my spirits because otherwise I it would the in between times like I you just feel like you're a little purposeless. Like what am I doing here if I'm not sharing and creating something um with my with my peers. It seems like you are constantly holding events with your peers or being asked to organize, perform at, (laughs) manage, teach. I can't imagine that even in this year, you have a lot of time when you're sitting twiddling your thumbs. (laughs) There there really has been. I mean, a remarkable amount of silence and downtime. And 
the great thing is it's made me write more. I've, I've written a lot of pieces because it's the, it's the way that I like to spend my time, but I've also done some serious Netflix binging. Like there's (laughs) been some serious, like the holiday movies are full tilt in our house. We've, I've seen jingle jangle twice already. I've been doing a fair amount of that, but aside from the daily walk and the working, there isn't anything, (laughs) you know, I'm really not attending things and really trying to social distance and all that stuff. So yeah, it's been nice to fill the time in different ways for sure. So has the pandemic in some strange way been a bit of a muse for you? I definitely think it's been a way to get creative, to think how can we bring people together? How can we raise money for this event? Um, But I definitely think it's just been pretty craptastic, you know, overall. And it feels like we're all just trying to do the best we can. And you know, just to kind of keep our eye on the horizon, you know, keep our eye on what's coming and stay present, you know. Do you think there are things that you've done this year that maybe you wouldn't have done if it hadn't been for this situation we all find ourselves in? Like the podcast, would that have ever happened were it not for you and Robin being trapped at home? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. We've talked about it for a while. Um, It's been one of those things that was kind of on the, the side burner I definitely think I wouldn't have painted so many rooms in my house. I wouldn't have organized so many things. Um, I can guarantee that having the the foster classes fit into my schedule and that the things to start fostering children, that would have been really hard. It would have been a financial hardship, actually, to take that time off. But because I can work so flexibly now from home, it's been like, oh, I actually can take a Tuesday night off and and not teach that night and do this because I can, the kids are available during the day in a way they've never been before. So there have been some really neat things about that, but I wouldn't say amuse. I would say definitely um, made me get creative. So maybe that is amuse. Maybe that's what that is. That's like the definition, isn't it? Never mind. I guess so. In a strange, in a strange way, like there's yeah. almost like a redefinition of it in this scenario. Yeah, kind of like a like a muse I don't necessarily like, you know, like that <laughs> guest that won't leave, you know. <laughs> so thinking more wider, thinking about arts events within our community this year, and even farther afield, where have you found some arts joy this year in other people's output? The Kansas City Symphony just put out this advent calendar and it's these one minute one and a half long minute videos of their members doing music and they're just pretty pretty common christmas carols but they're great arrangements it has really brightened my day to just be like oh it's time for the new kansas city you know the kansas city symphony video and and so that's been pretty neat i loved the talking horse monologue contest mm. that they did online i thought that was so fun and again that that something to look forward to, to go to every day and say, okay, I'm going to watch this and not just aimlessly scroll, but have, you know, kind of a thing I can, I can put my attention toward. And then this last week, I very much enjoyed the Christmas Carol adaptation that Dana Bucky and Dee Dee Ferris and there were so many wonderful people, Sarah Yost and the Daniel Boone Regional Library put on. I really enjoyed it, like an old timey, you know, radio broadcast of that. 
Did you see anything this year? Maybe the Kansas City Symphony fits into this. Anything that you saw that really kind of gave your own creative juices a jolt and you thought, oh, yeah, I could I could do an adaptation of that. Actually, I, I thought that Violet Vandahar, Vandahar rather, did a wonderful job with the Jane Doe review broadcast this year that none of us could get together, but that we managed to have all these women from across the whole state come together and have this great performance. I loved that. And it was part of the way that I designed then the Unity concert that I did this last week. So having soloists come in and then having Linda Bott take our choir and put all that together in kind of a digital format. So I, I seeing Violet do it was like, okay, I can have, I can have a digital choir. I can try this thing. And it was really fun and very successful. So I'm, I'm grateful to Violet for, you know, showing me. I was like, I can do this. Okay. I asked her a lot of questions too. Do you think things like digital choirs may hang around after we are able to gather together again? Do you think there are certain things that we've learned this year that might linger? I think one of the neat things about the technology that we're using now is that it does make things accessible in a way that they haven't been. Speaking with my work at Unity Center of Columbia, we have members who haven't been able to physically come to service in a long time. And now they feel a part of the community again. And they really feel connected because everyone is meeting online, you know, instead of watching it later. And so I know that I will probably do at least one digital piece just for people who live other places and want to participate. Here's a way that you can come together with us and still do that. We have so many members that are all over the the country that I think that would be really cool. So I probably would do like one piece to do that. And I know that with our church that we're going to continue broadcasting on Zoom like in perpetuity. So there will always be a way for you to access our service and feel like you're a part of something digitally from now on. If you could send a message back to your February self, what would you tell her about this year to reassure her? I think... I, (laughs) this sounds terrible. I think I'd tell her to get out more in the spring because we really had so few cases at that time. You know, I would tell her to be like, it's okay to go on. I was even nervous about going on a walk without my mask, you know? So I think that I would say, you know, you can, you can walk outside and not, and be okay right now. Um, I would say that and then I'd also say like sink into this now instead of thinking that, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks. I think if someone had said you're in this for the long haul, so make preparations now, start a really good journaling practice, start walking and continuing that. Like, I think that that would have helped me just to have the knowing this was going to be a long, a long vision and a long through line. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, Audra, 2021 is coming up very soon, and I'm sure that you will have a long list of accomplishments <laughs> by the end of next year. But let's check in again in at the beginning of the year and, and find out what is happening in your year. That sounds great. I love getting to talk with you. Thank you. And you. Thanks, Audra. Let's hop over to the Rheinsberger Theatre next at the University of Missouri, and check in with Dr. Joy Powell, Assistant Teaching Professor of Musical Theatre. Good morning, Joy. Good morning. How are you? 
I am well. I've spent all morning talking to people and it's just a lovely way to spend a morning. So like everybody who manages a stage, you this year have had to totally embrace the ghost light (laughs) and radically reinvent your art form. And as I have done with so many of our local arts leaders, I have watched you and the MU Theatre Department and students muster all your creativity and embrace the paradigm and the technology and just make the show go on. And thinking back to that time in March when the arts, for what was in fact a mercifully short moment, went totally dark. What were your thoughts? Well, my first thought was, how do we keep everyone safe? Um, I teach my students and work to embody that they're humans first and then they're artists. Um, And so we were, as a department, just of course, concern for ourselves and our families and friends, but how do students, um, how do they move forward? Because when the campus went on lockdown, for our students, a lot of them, Mizzou Theater Department is their safe place. This is their community. This is where they feel safe. And so for that to be altered and moved, and a lot of them, of course, had to move locations or they couldn't be in residence halls anymore. And and so that was my first thought is, how do we keep our community that we've worked so hard to build, um, this safe space that accepts everyone as they are, how do we continue that momentum when we can't really see each other? And um, we've been able to do that, which is probably the thing I'm the most, uh, the thing for which I'm most grateful during this is that our students have continued to feel accepted and loved and safe. And and that is, I think, a worthy triumph in these, in these times. Um, so that was my first thought. How, I mean, how have you done that? You can't see each other. Has it been just a huge amount of, of online virtual conversations and classes? And how have you overcome that barrier to make sure that everybody still feels very safe and included and and you're all in it together. Yes. So, you know, Zoom is the blessing and the curse, right, of 2020. (laughs) But our student organizations um, are so strong. We have a Alpha Psi Omega, which we call APO for short, that is our undergraduate service honorary fraternity. And then we also have GTO, which is the graduate theater organization. And their leadership for both groups is very strong and both groups really collaborate well. So they've done a ton of online events, online game nights. We did a winter cabaret last week that raised money for APO, where students sent in videos of performances. And so we all got on Zoom and watched you know, those edited performances together over the summer, being able to work with social distance practices in in place, but actually being able to be a limited number of people on stage together. You know, if I don't see on Zoom, you know, someone in my class or don't hear from them knowing what challenges they're facing, you know, they're going to get emails from me and text messages and messenger messages. That real intentionality of you're missed when you're not here, are you okay? What do you need? How can we support you? So it's it's not one way that we were able to do it, but I think what are all of the ways that are available to us through technology that we can make sure that our students know that they're not invisible to us? 
we have all felt to some degree, varying degrees, isolated this year. And I'm interested in how that relates to the profession of acting. So for all actors this year, you've had to channel a very different type of energy, almost one that is unrequited because there is usually energy flow from a physical audience sitting in front of you, applauding, laughing, crying, or unwrapping a crinkly, noisy cough drop. (laughs) And that, that hasn't been there. But not only have the actors not had an audience to feel the energy from, Quite often, they haven't even had a scene partner mm-hmm. to act with. They are simply acting with a small computer camera and imagining the other people, the other scene partners that are there. Talk to me a little bit of, about that and how you and your students have adapted to that missing link. Mm-hmm. It really is a missing link. Um, you know, when I'm teaching performance in any way, you know, it is all about not all about, but I mean, the focus is the audience, right? Because the audience really determines how we go about performing. So the <laughs> the example I always use is, you know, the Monday night conversation I have with my grandmother every week is vastly different from the one I'll have with my best friend later that night, because the it's still me, but the audiences are different and, and the, the topics are different. And so, you know, if someone's doing a monologue, we are always talking about the audience, whether there's someone there that we physically see or not. And so we've had to really push that idea in that there are people that need content. Our audiences are out there and they want to hear from us. So how can we be generous with what we give them? Um, You know, we did Murphy Ward's musical over Zoom over the summer, which we got to talk to you about, which was so wonderful, all the spaces. And then we did uh, selections of all the spaces this fall. And so that cast and crew had been on Zoom and they were then able to, in September, actually be on stage two or three of them at a time. And that was such a game changer for them because it felt quote unquote normal. It felt like, oh, I'm rehearsing. Oh, you know, so we were, we have been able to give some sense of the momentum and energy that you're talking about. You know, I find it funny. So many of the um, late night talk show folks have a laugh track now. <laughs> and um, I can tell some of them are struggling with their delivery because they do feed off that, you know, most of them are, have been comedians or um, on some way and they feed off that energy. And so it's been a challenge. There, there's no doubt about it. And it is strange to talk to a camera and not a person. But we know that the stories that we tell are important and valuable. And that really is the driving force. And the way that we have been able to move forward is knowing that folks need those stories. And that the way that we are put together as theater people and the people that make theater is we we are compelled to tell them. And so if for this interim moment, we, we can't have it exactly how we want it, it doesn't mean that the work stops. I watched All the Spaces, the summer version online when the performers were all basically just acting to a camera. And it was One of the first pieces of theatre that I had seen where everybody was in isolation and it was all stitched together like you see the the orchestra stitched together performing songs in in their isolation. And I thought your actors were phenomenal, that it, it came across so well. When they were on the stage finally in September, how did it change? 
Well, they were in the same room, but they couldn't be near each other. <laughs> so proximity is really challenging. Um, they even look like they're closer together when they're on Zoom, <laughs> even though they were in, were in different locations. You know, it's just it's just so paradoxical in so many levels. Um, there was a real sense of, hmm, how do I want to describe it? Relief. Like, oh, okay, I get to sing this duet with this person. And Brett Christofferson is playing the piano and Brandon Riley is directing and Mimi Hedges, our director of production, is working with Andre Stewart, who's our camera person. You know, I mean, there, there's people here, you know. I think that was the real sense of I can dig in more because I'm at home on stage. I'm at home in the Rheinsberger Theater. This is the place where I get to do the thing I love. And so I think, you know, location is is so important. And I think that they were excited and and relieved, I think, would be the biggest, okay, this isn't going away forever, right? We will be back here. We are back here. And the context we're in isn't going to last forever. And we will get to actually be live. I think those were a lot of the, the things that they expressed to me about that, that second process. Thinking, first of all, about the Mizzou theatre year, what have been some of the highlights for you? Hmm. That's so hard, Diana. Why are you asking me all of these hard? No, I'm well, teasing. Let's see, um, amongst um, the I'm highlights. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know how passionate I am about the work that I get to do. It's a privilege. Um, I think getting to see the different iterations definitely of all the spaces and seeing that work progress and seeing the writing progress and getting it on its feet and, and the different edits I think that has been very exciting. Our Life and Literature series, which is, this was the 18th year that we've done that, which is students performing original work. There's a lot of what we call in the performance studies world autobiographical performance, which are folks performing their actual own stories that they've written and curated. And so it's not that they're performing a character, they're performing their own stories. And we've had, you know, just some really compelling performances through that. And then, of course, getting to share with a wider audience. We re-premiered Brett Christofferson's So Near So Far that we did this summer. And so I would say that um, the students' resilience is such a highlight. They are the fuel. I'm am constantly amazed at how I know how tired they are because I know them. You know, they can come on Zoom and I know exactly how they're feeling that day because that's part of my job, right? My <laughs> as I call it my spidey sense as an educator. And yet still showing up, still progressing and honing their skills, still taking care of each other well. It's not just the faculty and staff creating a safe and caring and vibrant community where everyone is welcome. It's that the students, they contribute to that so much and they believe in it. And so they are also responsible and accountable for checking on each other and making sure that people are okay. And so being a part of that process, but also having a front row seat to watch students love each other well, I mean, you really can't ask for more than that. So secondly, thinking more widely, what have you seen either within the community locally in mid-Missouri or maybe nationally that has really wowed you? Well, funny you should say, <laughs> there is a production of A Christmas Carol 
that actually happened at the Geffen in L.A. last year, and it was supposed to go to Broadway but couldn't. And it's a one-man adaptation of the story. And Broadway actor Jefferson Mays, some of you may know him from the original Broadway cast of A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, but he performs and also helped write the adaptation of this Christmas Carol. And then um, I actually was on a webinar with Michael Arden, who is the director. He also directed Once on This Island on Broadway and several other things, Tony Award-winning director. And they talked about how they, they shot this, and they really wanted to make it feel like theater and not a film. And that they have felt prior to this year that often when theater is filmed, it just kind of falls short a little bit. It doesn't have that theatrical being in an audience experience. And so they really, it's just fascinating how creative they have been and how thoughtful they are. But because I attended this webinar, I got a vastly discounted ticket to stream this production. And it was so powerful. I love that story anyway. I have certain versions of it I watch every holiday season. But seeing Jefferson Mays play over 50 characters and knowing that theater makers were filming it, I felt like I was in the theater for the first time in a really long time. And it it was inspiring. It was exciting. You know, I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't distracted. I wasn't, you know, I was in it. And um, that has been such a a wonderful experience for me um, in the last few weeks. So that that's at the top. That's what's at the front of my mind because I just watched it. But it's powerful. In watching that performance specifically, was there anything that you took away creatively and you thought, yes, I can use this in what we do? Actually, yeah. You know, I was furiously taking notes during that webinar. And one of the ideas that they had as far as their point of view on filming theater was that they wanted to take each moment of the performance and place the camera in the best seat in the house for that particular moment. So, you know, when I go see a musical on Broadway, like my favorite place to sit is the mezzanine, right? Because I get to see the orchestra, I get to see the whole picture of what the visuals are, and then I get to see, you know, it's close enough that you can read the expressions on the performers' faces. But if you're going to go see a play, you might want to be in the sixth row center because you want to feel a different kind of energy from those actors. You know, it's a different point of view. And so what they did was they put the camera at every specific place in the audience to capture the best point of view for that particular moment in the play. And I just found that brilliant and fascinating. So camera placement, you know, how do we do that? How do we make it feel like theater? And it's not that the other performances I've watched or aren't compelling. They are. But this was intentional about how to film theater in a different way than I had seen before. So I think that's definitely something that we can do as we're moving through this crazy time. You know, I tell my students, we're doing theater, but it's like we're doing it on Mars. So it's still theater, but it's like, how the heck do you do that, you know? And so those little nuggets of of inspiration and, and things that other people have found to work can really, really, can be utilized by anybody. And I think can really make a lot of difference. You always seem to me like such an optimist. <laughs> you see the good in everything. And I'm curious if in any way this awful pandemic has, has jolted you creatively or in some way been amused if you've created anything this year that wouldn't have happened were it not for a tiny virus. Well, that's such a compliment. Thank you. 
I am definitely a glass half full person, although the glass has gotten not as full sometimes <laughs> this year. But for me, you know, it really is the students and I want to give them everything I can possibly give them so that they can reach their potential. And so um, that's a good question. I think that, as you said in the opening, you know, the show must go on. Um, fortunately, I have a department chair and colleagues that believe that too. So it's not like I'm this one woman band going, we will go forward. You know, it's all of us as a community saying art is essential and the people that make art are essential and we're not going to stop. Stories have to be told and we're charged and we are, I would dare say, called and we are, um, have the ability to tell stories no matter the challenges that we face. And so I think that we're going to do this together. We're in this together. And that's the only way forward, I think, has really been um, a point of resiliency for me personally and artistically, but also, you know, I'm always modeling some kind of behavior to younger people. And so I have worked very hard just personally to be rested, to take care of my mental, physical, spiritual health because I want to make sure that I can be there for my students who are learning those skills. You know, I'm twice their age. I mean, I don't look it, you but do I'm not. twice their <laughs> <laughs> And so I, so, you know, some of the battles that they face, pandemic or not, of course, I have fought those battles too, personally. And so I just decided that that, that is the goal is, can I, I want to be here for them and I want to be a resource and a sense of support for them. And, you know, I'm in the middle of a group of people that feel the same way. So I hope I answered your question. I think I did. But if I didn't, you tell me, okay? <laughs> I think that's fine. Okay, great. If you could send a message back to your February self, <laughs> what would you tell her about this year? Um, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Don't give up. It's going to get much worse than you could have possibly imagined, but don't give up. I definitely see you as a person who will never give up, Joy. If they threw <laughs> 10 pandemics at you, you just would be like, okay, well, let's just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's such a kind. You're so kind to me. Oh, I mean, you always are. I just, I just love it. Well, Thank I'm, a, you so I'm much. a big fan of yours. Everything I've oh. seen that you have done with the students has been so powerful and hmm. has stuck in my memory. They are some of the highlights of everything that I've seen at Mizzou over the last few years. So thank you so much for all that you do. Dr. Joy Powell, Assistant Teaching Professor in Musical Theatre, Director of Undergraduate Studies and Director of the Larry D. Clark Summer Repertory Theatre. It is always uplifting and delightful chatting with you. Thank you for sharing your end of year review with us. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. I asked Santa if I could please have for Christmas a cosy chat with the singer Simone Sparks and he totally delivered. Good morning, Simone. Good morning. I am such a huge fan of yours. Every time I see you on stage, whether you are singing jazz with Loose Loose or an operatic rendition of the national anthem at Arrowhead Stadium or as a musical theatre actor, I feel like I am in the presence of a phenomenal talent, which the world should hear. And I am transfixed. 
And I always want more. There's never enough, Simone. And even when I watch you online with all the limitations that are inherent in that form, you have a voice that reaches my heart like no one else. You are such a powerful performer with such a magnetic presence. But I know that can be a mask for some performers too. And in a year that has been full of sadness and anger and loss, let me ask you first, how are you, darling? Oh, goodness. Um, You just brought a few tears to my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I am up. I'm down. I'm grateful. I'm sad. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I'm pretty much everything in the book, but I am still blessed and I'm still here. I think just, you know, being able to inhale and exhale is reminding me that I still have work to do and people to touch and lives to change. So um, it's a reminder to keep pushing. I do want to go back for a second and say thank you <laughs> <laughs> for all those wonderful things. It's it's not just me. I'm grateful for the talent that I have to be able to touch you like that or and maybe others as well. But thank you so much. So you are so incredibly at home on a stage and in front of an audience. And I wonder how have you got through this year with next to no stages? Wow. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I guess in this, this latter part of the year, have been blessed with individuals around me that love music, that still love theater, that still love the arts and want to do it for its sake. And I've been blessed with people around me that want to continue that and see that done. It's been difficult, but people are pushing for it. And thank God they reached out to me for those different events and endeavors. And luckily, there have been a few of them within this latter part of the year, either socially distant or virtually, that I've been able to participate in. So through... All of the turbulence of 2020 with more murders of black lives, a raging pandemic that has stolen so many people, ridiculous political monstrosities. So many people have turned to the arts for solace and comfort and owing us nothing. Artists have responded to comfort us. So what has been your solace this year? Yeah, I... It's very interesting. I'll share something with you in honesty. I feel like one of the people that actually needed to reach out to other artists at this point. I have kind of struggled with a block of how to give back or how to give in general with my voice, especially virtually. (laughs) That has been something I have struggled with. And maybe that's just something that's internal. I don't know if any other artists struggle with this like I do. That was sarcasm. I'm sure they do. (laughs) Um, But I struggle with seeing myself. I am my worst critic. Looking at myself in the mirror used to be very, very hard for me. And so thinking that I would sing only to a camera, not knowing what soul was behind it, not knowing what person or what they felt from what I did has been tremendously hard for me this year. And a face that this probably won't be the end of that has been something I have had to grow through. It's working. I am growing, but I am still in the beginning stages of that. I hope that in the upcoming weeks, 
and maybe even sooner than that, I'll be able to see a different type of growth in me going into this next week being the new year, my goodness, um, (laughs) that I'll be able to say, you know what, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. And it's not actually gone, who knows, maybe, (laughs) but that I'll be able to unveil this barrier that I've put between myself and the camera because there are still souls on the other side of it. And I get to reach them even though I can't physically be in the room with them. Well, on that topic of reaching souls through the camera, I was just watching your recording of Lift Every Voice and Sing, which you recorded back in September at the Church of St. Mary the Virgin at the National Churchill Museum in Fulton. And I mean, it, it gave me shivers. I got all teary. You are absolutely able to move people through the medium of a camera and and the internet. And so when you watch that performance, or maybe you haven't, maybe you can't, but if you watch that performance, do you do you behold your own power? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was actually I'm glad you brought that video up because that was the first time I was um affected in such a way as if I wasn't the singer singing the song I watched it and I believe the things that you say you felt I felt as well I cried myself watching myself (laughs) watching the beauty that is Preston Wilson playing those keys just a little touch of heaven in there and the fact that we were put together for this video lift every voice Victory is 
I really can't listen to that without getting shivery. That was Simone Sparks, just part of her recording of Lift Every Voice and Sing with Preston Wilson on piano. And I'll let you in on something else. That was not something that we actively practiced. That just kind of came out like that. I wasn't sure how I was going to sound. Preston wasn't sure exactly which keys were going to go where. And we had ideas, but we weren't exactly sure how they were going to mesh. And then they just did. And that's how that's how music works, how art works. When it's meant for each other, it will just kind of lock in. Me watching that really said, okay, maybe you can do this. You know, it's a little intimate. But I think that you can still use this avenue use this platform which is social media and (laughs) all things virtual to still reach people and that might be the way to go it's really not a might it's more of a must at this point right have you recorded anything else that you've been able to watch because obviously mostly you are singing on stage in front of a live audience you are in musical theater there aren't professional cameras there recording what you're doing have there been any other opportunities where you've been able to see yourself like for example when you sang the national anthem at arrowhead stadium i mean again there the power of your voice just reaches through the medium Yes, there has been something in my mind. I don't know, call it a roadblock. But there's something different between singing at Arrowhead, you know, singing at the Chief Super Bowl Parade, or watching myself sing with the Columbia Civic Orchestra with Marcus Drell Ruff that uh, happened earlier this year as well, or watching the videos from the True False Film Festival. We did have videos of that and watching how we were able to really what was our last in-person <laughs> event where we can really feel the energy in the room of those people watching the video of that. That is completely different than singing to a room of no one. Singing in a room where you, you want to feel the energy of the people, you want to see the looks on their faces when you say something that you mean. But you can't. You can't do that. And you just have to imagine. I will tell you, Diana, imagination is such a strong thing right now in 2020. Our dreams, our hopes, they have to live within us and outside of us. Otherwise, we will just kind of rot into facing a reality that is unknown. If we do not have hope to hold on to, it will be that dark, I think. That's just my personal opinion. But hope, nobody can take that from you. You can lose it, you can gain it, but hope is still hope regardless. It will always be there. When I listen to you, you fill my heart with hope. (laughs) So talking of true-false, I mean, that was the last time that I saw you on the stage Little did any of us know that was going to be the last event we attended pretty much in 2020. But you did perform again for the Ragtag Outdoor Drive-In event in August. How did it feel being back on the stage with your bandmates after so many months away? You were performing with Loose Loose, I should say. 
Yes, yes. Um, doing that, getting back together, uh, even when we rehearsed for that event, was special. It was special, and it, it made me, um, I, you know, I knew that I missed them, and I knew that I missed live performance, and I, I knew that I missed the aspect of being in a band with other people, other musicians. But being able to give that to uh, the Ragtag Drive-In, the uh, 20th birthday celebration, it was a different type of special, right? It was, um, shall I say, nostalgia, <laughs> but like very short-lived. It's like, wow, like this seemed like it was so long ago that we were able to do this. And being able to come back and see people in their cars or with their chairs next to their vehicles, but only with their own, you know, maybe one or two other family members with them, but still able to enjoy from a distance. Um, that there's something to that. There's something to community. There's something to being around other people, even if it has to be from a distance. That was, I mean, especially when we uh, had to kind of freestyle or and to do some things on the dome that we're able to do that with one another because we're in sync right there with each other we see what we're doing we kind of see where our body language is telling us we're going um, all of that plays a difference and it's kind of hard to do that virtually they're two different things but yeah I hope that kind of answers that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good job yeah so let, let me ask you about some of the highlights for you maybe things that you've been involved with personally or also things that you've seen what have been some of the arts moments in 2020 that really stood out for you <laughs> yes the one that we um have talked a bit about is the chief super bowl parade that started my year off and I really don't know how to describe what I felt <laughs> <laughs> walking on that stage with I mean some of the biggest names right now in news and football and whatever you want to call it. Just being able to do that, to meet people, to meet those serving, to actually fly the aircrafts that would go over the buildings, like to shake hands with them, to take pictures with them, to see old Hall of Famers and take pictures with them, to talk and see where, you know, what they were doing. And not even just them, just the people who enjoy the Chiefs uh, themselves or their family members. We had, we got a chance to do breakfast with their family. And it, it was just, it was phenomenal. It was life-changing. Outside of that, you know, once I finally get on the stage to sound check, seeing a sea of red and that those are all people out there. Hundreds of thousands of thousands of thousands of people. Those are people <laughs> out there. And I, that's when I realized I absolutely love singing for hundreds of thousands of people. I, you know, sometimes you would think it would be the opposite. I get really nervous when it's like 15 people or less. <laughs> I'm I look, I, I'm like, look, they probably see the pimple on my nose right now because that's how intimate this is. But singing for hundreds of thousands of people, they can't see anything. They could only hear my voice, you know, and that is what I want to touch them. My voice. 
I want my voice to touch them. I want that to hit their hearts and hit their souls. And so in this sea of people, man, that felt good. I mean, it was uh, pretty cold <laughs> out there. I'm like, please, vocal cords, don't give out on me. But <laughs> it was amazing. That was really the start and kickoff to, I think I'm supposed to do this for the rest of my life. Because this is absolutely it. Um, something else that kind of put me in that same mindset, which doesn't get talked about a lot for me, was working with Talking Horse. And I thank you for ah. putting me onto that because it wasn't, it was because I came on your show and you told me, do you know what Talking Horse is? And I'm like, I don't know. And right after that, it was just within a few months, I ended up auditioning for them and doing the Green Book Wine Club train trip show earlier this year. That doesn't seem like it was earlier this year, but it was. And that was my first production and lead role without any music in it. There was no music. It was just words. Oh my gosh, so many lines, 300 something. I didn't think I could do that. I thought that was beyond me. I thought I had to have something with music in it of some form, some type of musical something, right? Some some type of element. But I did that. I'm so proud of myself <laughs> and thankful that me sharing my voice with the world is just that. It's not just about me sharing my music. It's about me sharing my voice and my talents and that it was received still by people. And I thank the Columbia community for that. Did it feel strange being on stage without music? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, so strange. I felt like I should burst out in song. It's like when other people, when they see musicals and they are like, I don't understand them because people just burst out in song. I feel like random songs should burst out of moments because that's my life. My life is a musical. It's a stage. I play jukebox in all moments of it. So things just make me think of music or I'll make my own. I will make my own song. I'm sure I'm going to do that about a donut. I'll probably eat in a few. I'm just going to make a song about eating it. That's how I felt. So it's very strange, very strange that we just have to connect to people with words and how we say them and how important that is. That is also something that is connected to the arts that people understand when it comes to poetry, spoken word or theater in itself that words are still so important the inflection of your voice how you say things matters and that actually to me helped me be a better performer i must admit watching you i kept waiting for you to burst out into song so it was, <laughs> i know right it was me, too. me too <laughs> well i want to play a piece of music featuring you and your gorgeous voice so what should we listen to yeah i actually have a friend of mine his name is Savon Williams Bounds. And if anybody has seen me within the Mizzou community, you'll know that we are pretty tied when it comes to music. He has sang several things with me, including a couple of shows he's done back up with Lucius. He's also sang with me through the university and the School of Music for their fundraiser in Kansas City, and also in Columbia there as well, to raise music for that beautiful building 
that school of music edifice down there on that corner of it and uh, university. But we wanted to really sing a song this year that would touch people really for the fun of us, but something that we could share. And so this is Give Love on Christmas Day, our little rendition of it. Hope you enjoy. People making lists, buying special gifts, taking time to be kind to one and all. It's that time of year when good friends are near and you wish you could give more than just presents from a store. Why don't you give love on Christmas Day? Oh, even the one who is everything would be so happy if you would bring them love on Christmas Day. No That once a year When the world's sincere And you like to find a way To show the things that words can't say Why don't you give love on Christmas Day? Oh, one on the street and a couple upstairs All need to know there's someone who cares Give love on Christmas Day The world needs your love. Oh, oh, yeah. What the world needs is love. If the world needs your love. Oh, yeah. What the world needs is love. If the world needs your love. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, what the world needs is love. Yes, the world needs your love. This year, give love on Christmas Day. No greater gift is there than love. Is there than love? love. Christmas, everybody. I'm just going to put a little crackling fire sound effect in the background there. That was my guest, Simone Sparks and Savon Williams-Bounds singing Give Love on Christmas Day. So perfect. So 
Simone, as a performer with such incredible vocal flexibility, you straddle the worlds of jazz and pop, where you channel a beautiful, sultry soul voice, and opera, where you have a soaring crystal soprano voice that can hold an entire football stadium enraptured, and gospel music, where your voice shines such an exquisite light on the collective pain and burden of black ancestors. You do everything. Where, where are you most at home? um first of all i don't even know how you make my cheeks hurt like this i blush so bad (laughs) you can't see that i'm blushing this bad but my goodness my cheeks hurt um (laughs) where do i feel at home honestly when i have the freedom to interchange all of those genres i i really don't like being boxed to where Someone only wants one type of me because they're all me. All of them are me. And so whenever I have the freedom to use them all, I that's when I feel the most at home, the most comfortable. Loose Loose gave me that. Uh, and I'm so grateful that they allowed me to use all of them that now Columbia and beyond can hear all the things you were talking about. But I think that's really when I feel most at home. I will say, no. I was going to say, do I have a favorite? I don't think I have a favorite. (laughs) I don't think I do. I think they really all mean something to me in different ways. Gospel does because it is the root of me. And when when people say that, they think one particular thing. But okay, okay, I think I'm answering something here, okay, to in myself, um, roll with me. Um, <laughs> gospel is the root of me. And a lot of the time when you hear about gospel music, people automatically box you. They are looking for a certain type of voice when you say gospel music. They are looking for this rangy, soulful, just belt of a voice. But gospel is so much more than that. It is classical. It is pop. <laughs> it is rock. It is opera. It is hip hop. It is literally all of the genres. But people don't give that a lot of credit a lot of the time. And to be honest, I guess I didn't either. This conversation is helping me kind of talk that out in realizing what my roots are, that it is gospel. But that's who taught me before I was professionally trained. It was my church who brought out all of those talents in me. For somebody to even say, wow, you've got a voice, you have an ear. I didn't just, I mean, yes, I was blessed with it, but I was also blessed with the church that would cultivate it and recognize those talents and use them. They stretched me to be able to sing soprano, alto, and tenor. And now that rocks people's worlds because they're like, what are you? And I'm like, I'm a soprano, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know. I, various. <laughs> I just kind of sing everything. And I think now I'm able to actually say that out loud. I owe that to gospel music. Well, Simone Sparks, jazz, chanteuse, soprano, and alto and everything else (laughs) mistress of musical theater and so much more thank you so much for sharing your voice with the world and for taking time to chat to me today thanks of course thank you so much
And that is it. Not just for another week, but another year. The arts have been such a source of comfort to so many this year. And my Christmas Day thanks go out to all those in the arts who have pivoted, pirouetted and jumped through hoops of fire to keep the arts part of our lives. Thanks again to my guests today, Audra Sergal, Joy Powell and Simone Sparks. Thanks also to guitarist Yasmin Williams, whose song Restless Heart opens and closes the show. You can find more of her music on Spotify and on her website at yasminwilliamsmusic.com. Finally, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week on New Year's Day with a whole bunch of arts pals. Merry Christmas and stay arty, Columbia. <laughs>